0: Well, I want to invite you this morning to take your Bible and open it to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, I was so thankful for the uh, announcement that Dan Jackson had made for my time off in July, and uh, as I move forward from this day, uh, I'll be uh, out and in here, mostly just out of the pulpit for a few weeks, as I uh, four or five weeks, as I get ready for you uh, on husbands, wives, and children. So it'll be part study break, part vacation. And so I look forward to that. But I wanted to draw your attention to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, a very familiar parable, I think to many of you, but one that I thought would connect with what I preached on in terms of last week on the doctrine of justification. But let me read that parable to you. You follow along. And I'll just be reading at chapter 4, and I think it's necessary to read down through verse 20. And again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Others' seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away, and other seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And the other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him, and these are the ones along the path where the seed is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones uh, the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while then... When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word... And accepted and bear fruit 30 and 60 fold and 100 fold. May God bless the reading of the scripture. Uh, I was thinking this week how I could take you from justification to sanctification, knowing that I, I had this break that's upon me before we turn back to the book of Ephesians. And the other relationship between those who are declared righteous and forgiven, all in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ through the gift of faith. But as we know, justification always leads to sanctification. You're saved by faith alone, but the reformers said that faith is never truly alone because it leads to a life of sanctification. And praise God, that cord cannot be broken. That justification leads to sanctification that ultimately will result in what? Glorification. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. But one writer said this, and I think it's fair. He said, are we trying to lead people into a deeper understanding of the truth? Or are we trying to pad our statistics? He said churches have used mass marketing strategies and have tailored their worship services to attract customers. But he said this, but these churches may find that they have assembled persons who run for the exits the first time there is the slightest cost for their faith end of quote. They run for the exits. And I think there's truth to that. I've seen this many times in my life. I think I've shared with you before about a teammate at college where I played basketball who claimed Christ, who said he was in Christ. This is at a public uh, junior college, only to find out that he was having an impure relationship with his girlfriend. And I remember as an 18-year-old being just a little bit baffled. Uh, I, I knew the truth. I was in Christ, but baffled as to why he could proclaim something out of his mouth. But his life looked completely different than the life of a believer. And his life looked the same with every other unsaved guy on that team. And then as I worked, I think I've shared that, I worked at a grocery store. It was called Alpha Beta. And I would run into people and share my faith with them and one was in the back of the store in the bakery and I had been praying for her and she told me she was a Christian. And I think when she told me she was a Christian, I was like dumbfounded because I knew how she lived and I knew the scuttle around work and what she was doing. And so I went up to her and asked her, how is it that you're a Christian? And she responded many years ago and said, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm just not like you. And I thought, well, you know, what was special about me? There's nothing special. We just saying Saved by the Blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, how could that be? She said, I'm a Christian, I'm not like you, I just don't practice it. And that was her, her theme. And I thought, you know, it says in Romans, may, may sin increase that grace may abound. And Paul said, may it never be. And I just have run into many people over the years, some that I've led to Christ, some that have walked from everything. And you're left with, how does this work? If you're really justified, it's gonna promote a life of, I'll change the word from a big word, sanctification, to a life of holiness. And so how do we make disciples who obey his commands? And beloved, this is the crucial task and the one that Mark seemed, that Mark is going to address here, that he seeks to address. And so I turn you to Mark chapter four. Now, what's interesting, just a little groundwork, and then I'll get right to it with you. This parable is the key to all parables. You say, why do I say that? Look at your text in 4.13. He said to them, do you not understand this parable, the one that he just told us in 1 through 12? How then will you understand all the parables? So if you don't get this one, you can't get the rest, and this one is key to the rest. Now, Maybe I'll have time to do this. The, the key word here as you study the Bible, as you preach the Bible, as you look for key words and key connections or the intent of the author, and it's obvious. It's the word listen. It's the word hear. Use those interchangeably. Just right here, that word is used 13 times. Just glance for a second at 4-3. Listen, Jesus said. A sower... Went out to sow. Look at verse 9. He said to them at the end of telling about the parable, He who eats, he who has ears, excuse me, uh, to hear, let him hear. I mean, this goes all the way down. It said in verse 12, quoting from the Old Testament, that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and that that they, they may indeed hear, but not understand. And so he's telling them to listen to hear. But I think one of the things you'll catch is there's a difference in in the hearing. Not all hear in the same way. Now, if you look down at verse 14, here's another marker just setting the direction for you. The sower sows, verse 14, the weed, okay? Or it says that he sows the word, excuse me. He sows the word, not the weed, right? So here's the sower. He's out sowing. You got this picture of this person with some kind of knapsack and a little bag. And he's got seed. And it's the picture that the Lord gives. He's sowing, if you will, the word of God. It's very clear that it's the word of God because it says it right there. It says the same thing in Luke, if you will, in this same text In the same parallel passage, the seed, it says there, is the Word of God. Now, beloved, just again, a little framework. The sower is not identified. The stress is not on the sower, but what the sower is sowing, and what he's sowing is the Word of God. Now, in another passage in the gospel, it says in Matthew 13, verse 37, that the sower is Jesus. But here, the emphasis is on what is being sown, and it, what is being sown, is the Word of God. And so beloved, the sower himself could be anyone, like you women, who share the Word of God. It could be you men who share the word of God. Hopefully it would be the seventh graders who were redeemed in this place and who say, here's the teaching. The sower could be anyone in this text who's ministering the word of God. And many of you did that this week. And so the parable applies to any presentation of the word of God, even back in Mark's gospel, to the gospel, to the kingdom of God. Now, the soils in which the seed falls in this parable represent the hearts of those who hear the word of God. You understand that. So he tells the parable, then he interprets the parable in 13 through 20. And that's where I'm going to spend my time with you. We read the parable, but I'm going to interpret the parable for you. And I don't mean that I'll interpret it. Jesus, of course, is the best teacher who ever walked on the face of the earth. He's the interpreter of the parable. And when they got in private, they wanted to know what Jesus meant by the parable that they had heard. And what you find here is four different responses to the gospel. Okay? Four different Responses as the word goes out of how people hear that word. So just in a word to you, I don't have a PowerPoint today. Josh came up to me before the service and he asked me if I was sick. And I said, no, I feel great. And he said, because there's no PowerPoint. And I said, no, there is no PowerPoint, but we don't need the PowerPoint. I could communicate it to you, okay? There's four hearers. There's a superficial hearer, One, There's a second, a shallow hearer. Thirdly, there's a sidetracked hearer. And fourthly, there's a successful hearer. And I'll walk you through those. And my effort today is to encourage you, as you'll see at the end. So there's four responses to the gospel, but it leads to a very clear task for you. But let's dive in. First, the superficial hearer the superficial hearer. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly high here, so stay with me. He says in verse 15, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. So he sows the word. And when they hear, watch this, Satan immediately comes, takes away the word that is sown in them. These are superficial hearers, The seed, if you will, you can see it, is sown along the path. I think in the NASB it says it's sown along the, the road. And obviously as it's sown not in the soil, but on the path or in the road, it's not on soft soil, but it's on the path. And this path or this road has been trampled on. Time, and time again, so as to make the, the seed that goes in, it's going into not a soft soil, it's going into a hard and unresponding soil. Now, those of you who are in agricultural agriculture, which is many of you, you understand this. You know way more than me, than I do on soil. But you, enough to say here, this seed gets on the path that, it gets on the road. You say, well, what happens? Well, it said that Satan snatched it away, but let me take you back. Look back at 4.4. Here it is, the analogy. And as he sowed, some seed fell among the path. Same thought, 15. And the birds came and devoured it. So it doesn't go into the soil. It's the birds come and devour it. And now he's going to interpret that for you. For the superficial hearer, it is something else that snatched it. And it is in verse 15. He comes, Satan does, and snatches away the word which has been sown. If you want to write this one down, you can in Matthew thirteen nineteen, When anyone hears the word of God and does not understand it, there's the thought. They're in the hearing of it. A lot of people, millions of people in America have heard the word, but they do not understand it. Matthew 13, 9. The word, if you will, fails to penetrate their hearts. That seed, if you will, finds no entry points. And that word is snatched. And it's snatched by the evil one. In fact, Luke, I don't have to take you into the whole parallel accounts, but it says, these beside the road are those who have heard. Got to make sure all these these, uh, people that are hearers have heard. In Luke 8.12, those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved there are any many people many who hear the gospel and respond with interest but the gospel the seed that is sown never takes root in their hearts now listen these people are not excused of personal responsibility it is that they take could be you And I don't mean that mean. I mean, I just know that there's high schoolers that sometimes sit with us in deflection of their parents, and they're here because you were brought. You say, well, what what could happen there? Well, you're not excused from it, but you take the word of God so lightly, so superficially that the evil one comes and snatches it away. In other words, they, or the people you share with, become indifferent to the gospel. And this Satan does. He does it by uh, false teachers. These false teachers promote lies. He uses fear of what other people might think about becoming a Christian. He uses pride to blind people of their sinful condition and need of salvation, and certainly His greatest tool is he uses the love of the world, the love of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, and a host of other uh, devices. It says in 1 Corinthians 4.4 that he blinds the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So here's first, the superficial hearing. It's beside the road and it's snatched by Satan. But there's a second hearer, okay? Not just the superficial hearer, but the shallow hearer. The shallow hearer. Look at verse 16. It says there, and these are the ones sown on the rocky ground It says, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. Here is a shallow hearer. Some some people hear the word of God, and it comes with joy. It's desirable. It's uplifting. They had their needs met in the gospel, and they rejoice for a while. Look back what Jesus, when he read the parable, said about these, and it's in chapter 4, and in verse 5, other seed, here it is, fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. Under this type of soil, when you begin to crawl into the history, limestone, underneath the soil caused rapid growth because the seed itself would push up, if you will, prematurely. It pushed it up early because it didn't go deep. It didn't, it didn't go into the roots. It hit the limestone and then the seed went back up and you say, well, what happened? We'll look back in 4.6, it says, and when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it what? It withered away. So Satan in the first here snatches it. And in this case, the word is scorched. And so it withers away, obviously, as it came up quickly. The hot sun would beat down upon the young plant and it would be scorched. It would be unable to get moisture below and it withered away. In fact, look what our Lord said in 417. Does he not say that? It says there, and they had no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately, here's our word, they fall away. In other words, verse 17, you can see it. It says they just endure for a while, but then the tribulation comes, if you will, okay? The the difficulties. There's no root there. The Word of God to these hearers only cracks the surface, if you will. The Word is not deeply driven into them. It doesn't hold them. The change, if you will, is very superficial. And at this point, it's very shallow. In fact, it says they endure for a while, they come to church for a while, they're at youth group for a while, they're in the college department for a while, they're members for a while, but then all of a sudden that word that brought joy is only temporary, and like a morning mist, it melts, if you will, like the dew that disappears and then all of a sudden, affliction comes. You say, what do you mean by that? They're tested by trials. They're tested by disease. They're tested through finances and the crushing trials of a spouse or death or relationships or Persecution, as it says, because of the word, or ridicule, or if any type of persecution, or loss, or friendship, or status, etc. And the Bible says here they fall away. Beloved, as quickly as they receive the word, is as quick as they crash. They are like what I witnessed on Friday at River of Life. It was a great time. They had fireworks at the end of river of life. And you know this, those things go up quick. They pop, they bang. You ooh and aah a little bit. And as quickly as they rise and pop and bang, they fall and they just kind of descend. This is how some people are in their faith. They rise and then fall away. But again, you know from the teaching of 1 John, they went out from us because they were not really what? Of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out that it would be shown that they are not really of us. I said, Scott, why do you say that? Well, I just I want you to understand. You say, Well, why was he telling this parable? Because his family at the end of chapter three. If you're expositing, didn't even believe in him. And I think he told the parable, not to discourage you, but to encourage you. Because you wanna see people respond, and yet here, the text says in this shallow hearing, they fall away, it's the Greek word scandalizo, okay? And it, it's the ideal of causing to stumble or fall and the term is from what we, which comes to us as scandalize, if you will. Sometimes translated with the ideal of causing offense. In other words, this superficial hearer is scandalized, if you will, offended, stumbles, falls away when his or her faith is put to test. I mean, when friends come after you, when family might desert you, when co-workers begin to criticize you for your faith, or when pressure comes and you compromise or renounce your faith, it can bring resistance. Some become ashamed of the gospel because the one they had so joyous, joyless, joyously proclaimed, there's no lasting conviction They've never experienced the new birth that Christ gives them. And their faith is a, is a sham, and it caves in, if you will. They apostatize under pressure. This may be after years of service. This may be after years of membership. They could have been with you the whole time at student ministries, only to get to college 8 18, and they'll never set foot back in the life of our church. Could be somebody that you've shared with. Could be somebody that you've gave, given the word to. They hear the gospel, but it's a superficial hearing. They never hear the cost of the gospel. That's our churches today, many of them. It's all, all, all grace, all grace, and it is all grace. And they would accuse me of being legalistic. You're adding something because you're going to get to the successful here who bears fruit. My point is, is that you can't separate justification from sanctification. And so some confronted with the cost of salvation, with the difficulty of what it would look like to follow Christ, that word that was initially received with joy is scorched. No lasting repentance. No thirsting after righteousness. Little to no love for his word No spiritual fruit, and the house just caves. So there's a a superficial here. There's a shallow here. Thirdly, let's just call it this for the alliteration. There's a sidetracked here. A sidetracked here. Who's that? Look, verse 18. It says there, and others are the one ones sown among here it is thorns they are those who hear the word but the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful sidetracked tears. now you'll notice that they're sown among the thorns so what He's taking just a picture and he's putting a spiritual truth to it. They had thorn bushes even as we do. And oftentimes what they would do, if thorns were coming up in the crop, they would cut the thorn bushes down. But if you only cut the thorn bushes down at the point in which they rise up and you don't cut out their roots, uh, the soil then became problematic and as soon as those thorns were cut down they they would come up again and the thorns as we understand would choke the the seed so in some places the word is snatched in other places if you will it's it is scorched by the heat here this word suffocates the thorns grab them. In fact, how did, he, how did he read that? Go back to 4:7. He said, "Other seed fell among the thorns, there it is. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain." Why? And then he interprets it in verse 19, "The worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches." the desire for other things just whoosh, ch- chokes people. So is fascinating. This comes from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples in private. Some of you have just so faithfully witnessed to people and praise God for that. I want to encourage you. You've just been out there And there's been guys that have crushed you or girls that you've poured your life into. And you just see them kind of fizzle out like a a firework. They've heard the word, but the word never captured their hearts. And in this hearing of this type of hearer, it says that that the riches have dulled their desire for the word of God. Worldly pleasures became their pursuit, And the word is suffocated behind the golden calf that they have made. No one, Jesus said, can serve, what, two masters. Either he will hate the one and you understand, love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, but you can't serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and wealth. And then I think of so many churches that are being attractional in nature, and we want to be attractional. We think our life should be such a witness by the Spirit of God that people can see Christ in us. But at the same time, you can't do both I think this came out to me. I took, sometimes I would take my kids to concerts. And um, of course, I would take them to hard rock. No, I'm just kidding. I would not. I took one of them to Casting Crowns. They were really good. Do any of you know that, that band, Casting Crowns? And they, yeah, there's some. I see, you know, back when the d- dinosaurs roamed, they were really big. But they had a, they had a song, and it was called American Dream. Listen to the words, listen to the lyrics of this. All work, no play, made Jack a dull boy. But all work and no God has left Jack with a lost soul. But he's moving on full steam. He's chasing the American dream and he's gonna give his family finer things. So he works and he builds with his own two hands and he pours all that he has in a castle made with sand. But when the wind and the rain are coming, crashing in, time will just tell how long his kingdom stands. He used to say, whoever dies with the most toys wins, but if he loses his soul, what has he gained in the end? And then the lyric goes, I'll take a shack on the rock over a castle in the sand. It's good, but I thought it's inverted today. Most people want the castle in the sand, if you will, and so they work and play and Just for all that stuff. See, so here, our sidetracked here shows no worries in this world and the deceitfulness of riches, and he has a desire for other things. Do you see that word in verse 19? He has a desire, just, I'm kind of a word geek, it's, the word desire is just strong desire, it's the Greek word epithumia, okay, in other words, this man, this woman, this student has a lust for possessions and power, if you will, and pleasure and prestige. No wonder, do you remember when the apostle John told us, beloved, do not love the world, nor the things in the world Because if you do that, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here it is, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. So here, this one, here's it, but it's superficial. And then the lust and the desires of the world come strong. I was reading that the Illinois Department of Natural Resources reports that over 17,000 deer die each year by being struck by the motorist on the highway. And according to the state wildlife director, the peak season for road kills you probably know this, is late fall. Why? Because the bucks are in rut. And they're now concentrating almost exclusively on their reproductive activities. And he said, quote, and they are a lot less wary than normally they would be, end of quote. And I think deer aren't the only ones destroyed by their preoccupation for lust we live in this world you say well what happens to these people look down in the bible i'll show you it says they enter in those things and what choke the word this here heard but he's suffocating he's not following christ anymore he's pursuing his desires and beloved, I, I think it's fair to say, riches are not the sin, but the heart is distracted by the riches that are full of lust. You know that. Riches are not the problem. It's a heart issue here. No wonder Jesus said that the gate is wide and the way is broad and it leads to what? Destruction. And there are many, if you will, who enter through it. And the result is it becomes unfruitful. In other words, these people bear no fruit. The word of God has been strangled to death by the preoccupation with the world. It's like the rich young ruler. I mean, just sprinting up to Jesus. He's down on his knees. He calls him, you know, master. What must I do to be what? Saved. Here's what you must do. Go sell all that you have. And he didn't hear this next phrase. And you will have treasure in heaven. And it says that the rich young ruler, you know the account, just went away crushed. Because it said that he owned much possessions. His possessions held him. And though he heard the word, it suffocated him. And it suffocated the word. Think of Judas. What was his motive? Well, could be many motives, but at least this one. He went off to the chief priest in order to betray him. And they were glad when they heard this. Hey, he's going to be over in the garden. He goes over in the garden. I've been there many times. And, we, he's going, you know, and so they, he told them, and they were glad when they heard this, and they promised to give him, what, money. And it says the text, and he begins seeking how to betray him with an opportune time. Love of money. It's it's got people. It could be you. Like I'm not, there's a close here. You just got to hang on with me. I'm not thinking this is us, but I am trying to help us. And then there's a fourth response, okay? And you know this. It's the successful hearer. The successful hearer. Well, who's that? Look at verse 20 there. But these or those that were sown on the, here it is, the good soil, are the ones who hear the word. They all heard the word, but watch it. They accept it and bear fruit thirty-fold and sixty-fold and a hundredfold. Now, now listen, there's a little nuance in the text here that I, I think is important for you. In the first three soils, if you will, they all heard, but then Satan snatched the word and they fall away. In verse 17, it was worldly desires that choke the word. And here, the other soil was bad as well. I think it's interesting that they're all described here in the, pres- the tense. The first three soils. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Uh, An aorist tense is is a punctiliar, if you will, action. It's something done, if you will, finally. So the first three types of hearing imply a quick, superficial hearing. The best way I can say this is it goes in one ear and what? Out the other. But in verse 20 here, the aorist verb is replaced by the present tense verb, enough for me just to say, this hearing is continual. It's hearing and really hearing as opposed to superficial, if you will. Here, the people engaged in the fourth kind of hearing are those who hear and accept and receive, and bear fruit. You can see that. A good hearer receives the word, praise God, immediately, welcomes the word deeply, not withered by persecution, and they welcome the word exclusively, and because they do that, it bears spiritual fruit. So beloved here, not done yet, Hang with me. Four responses to the word of God. Maybe I should ask, which are you? And maybe that you're here today is the heartbeat of your cry that I want to be here. I need this word. I want to keep hearing it. And I want to bear fruit. I don't know how gifted I am. Maybe it's 30-fold. Maybe it's 60-fold. Some of you are 100 hundredfold. But you're just here in the hearing of the word of God. But here's four responses responses there's a superficial here that person the word was snatched there was a shallow here the word was scorched by the trial the sidetracked here the word was suffocated and it choked and the set successful here was sown in good snow- soil and I had to come up with an S, and I was a little embarrassed to give this to you, but all I could think of Shea Thomason, if something good happened, sometimes he would say, snap. So there it is. Snap. This person has heard, and the point being is that they bear spiritual fruit. Now, Grace Church of the Valley, what's the point of the Parable. He told this parable, he, why? What, what does he want you to glean? What does he want me to glean? Well, some overzealous teachers, here's what they say, that the sower should have prepared the soil better. That's what they say. Clearly wrong. They, they would say, ah, here's the, the point. Bad soil, bad soil, bad soil, good soil. You, because I believe as Jesus gave this parable on the hillside, it's just as fresh the Spirit of God saying it to you because it's the Word of God. And what he's saying is you should only go to good soil. You should, you should prepare the soil to hear the Word of God. And I don't think it sounds any different than a lot of the shenanigans in church growth today. One guy by the name of, well, Peter Wagner, has contended that resources of time and personnel and money should be focused where there is the greatest receptivity to the gospel. It's not all wrong, is it? In other words, put your money where there's going to be a a receptive soil. And I, with you, probably think, who's a receptive soil? (laughs) Not me. Not my mom and dad. I mean, they're probably the last people that you'd want to go to before they came to Christ many years ago. So you have to come back to the context. What's the context? That he is ever training the disciples to go out into the world, and his family just rejected him at the end of chapter 3. And I think what he's saying here is, don't be surprised. And don't be discouraged by the condition of the soil. Okay? Repentance to the word is not dependent upon the presentation of the sower. In other words, if you just said it this way, or I forgot, if you ever walked out after sharing with someone and think, "Ah, I wish I would have said this. And you're left with some presentation. In fact, because some of you don't have a presentation, you can lose heart and become discouraged. And so you're thinking about that. Listen, beloved, let me just say this. Growth comes from God, does it not? I planted, Paul said, and he said, Apollos watered, but God was causing what? The growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth, growth, 1 Corinthians 3. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. I'm trying to say this, you are not the soil inspector. You are the sower who must throw the what? The seed. Don't you become, well, I don't know, are they receptive to the God? Throw it. Put the word out there. Tell somebody on July 4th. Share the good news. Relieve yourself of the burden of wonder and analyzation and paralyzation over that analysis and throw the seed. You can't do anything to the soil. Don't try. God is the one who causes the growth. And so you need to be faithful. You say, well, be faithful to what? Be faithful to throw the what? The seed. Let God do his work in the heart of people. Listen, some of you, I know, gave a Bible to someone this week. You bought a Bible in this particular person's language. The Bible came and you had the privilege to put that Bible in someone's hand. And I thought, oh, wow, Lord. Jesus Christ is found in that Bible. Lord, would you just open their heart to hear the word? There's the point. We're getting paralyzed, and I just want to encourage you. And if some of you are a little discouraged, listen, I got discouraged. I've told you about that guy that I stayed up all night with, sharing gospel truth after gospel truth after gospel truth. And I didn't know anything else to say, would you, do you want to trust Christ? Yeah, I would. So I got down, I could still see where I was, on in his living room, on the on the couch floor, the sun was rising, and I led him to Christ. Say, so what happened to him? He walked away from everything. I was devastated. De- I thought, Lord, did I, did I do something wrong? Gosh, I I I no. I didn't do anything wrong. I sowed the seed, and who knows what the Lord will do with it, right? You cannot become over discouraged, if you will, because you've seen people walk from the truth of what you have shared with them. And I I just want to say, some of you, you've spent hours with young guys in our community. You've spent hours with young girls, and all I would say is, Praise the Lord. You trust him. You be a sower who has that bag. And as you're going, you're just putting out the word. But you can't become like the dead sea frozen over at the mouth. And nothing comes out of you. I'm going to pray that God gives us all opportunities. Be faithful to spread the word. Throw the seed. The seed, amen, is the word of God.